You're listening to The Sean Hannity Show. This is Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute. And Eric Eggers, vice president of the Government Accountability Institute and co-host, along with Peter, of the Drill Down podcast. And we're in for Sean Hannity today and uh, very privileged to be able to share his platform and talk to all of you on a beautiful Monday afternoon. Absolutely. Live from New York City. So if history teaches us anything, Eric, it's that government is a blunt force instrument. Now, sometimes you want that. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's right. Merry Christmas, everybody. But, you know, (laughs) sometimes you want that, right? You want that on D-Day. You want that when there's violence in your neighborhoods. You want that blunt force instrument. But when they try to apply that government machinery to issues like health care and the health care crisis, you see that blunt force instrument come out. You see it bearing its teeth. And we're about to see that again with renewed lockdowns, uh, with renewed uh, uh, closing of schools, uh, with more uh, stringent mandates as it relates to forcing people uh, to get the vaccine. And what's interesting is so much of this is predicated on science that is far from settled, right? I mean, the reason that they want the lockdowns, the reason they don't want people going out is the idea that if you are unvaccinated, you are going to spread this disease more than others. Um, and it's interesting, there was a, a recent piece in The Lancet, the British Journal, a medical journal, the British Medical Association, that basically says that's not true. Uh, shows data from the United States, from the UK, and from Israel. And it concludes by saying, it appears to be grossly negligent to ign- ignore that vaccinated population as a possible and relevant source of transmission when deciding about public health control measures. So we just arrived in New York last night, uh, and it is very different than what we have seen in Florida. Yeah, we live in this free state of Florida. We live in Tallahassee, the state capital. We're very privileged to have uh, Governor DeSantis lead the state. I have small children that have been able to be in person in school for the last two years because of the leadership that Governor DeSantis has shown. And I think, unfortunately, what we're about to see is a little bit of a back to the future scenario, because as we, as we do talk to you from the Sean Handy Studios in downtown New York City right now on TV screens in front of us is every measure of you got soccer games being canceled, basketball games being canceled. Yep. Saturday Night Live says no live studio audience. They're going to make a decision about New Year's Eve in Times Square. And that's in New York City, which, of course, the governor declared a state of emergency here some time ago. But what happens here, I think you'll see other places that are risk averse yeah. start to impose similar things. Harvard universities having different programs go online only. So it seems like the wave is starting to crest again yeah. in terms of the lockdowns, in terms of the removal of people's ability to make choices about what they think is in their family's best interest. That's right. Blunt force instrument and to show you how bad it is going to get. Uh, Linda passes along what is going on in New York State and some of the legislation that they're considering. Uh, one assembly bill is going to have forced COVID shot mandates to attend school. Uh, there's a bill that forces all adult vaccine records into a state database. Uh, there's another bill for forced COVID shots for college. There's another one for forced flu shots to attend, to attend schools and daycare. Uh, there's an assembly bill to eliminate religious exemptions. Another bill that eliminates parents' consent to shots. In other words, it doesn't matter what the parent wants. The state is going to tell that if a child reaches the age of 14, they're going to decide how that, how, they're going to decide how that is done. Uh, another bill is going to, um, and this one's really shocking. It's going to allow the governor to imprison without trial anyone she considers a threat to public health. 
how do you define a threat to public health? I saw a few people on the street that I would actually clarify <laughs> and qualify as threats to public health I'm yesterday. So glad, I'm so glad you're not governor. Is, is this one of those see something, say something scenarios? Yes, is. is there a hotline yes, I can call? Yes, yes. Multiple people in multiple sleeping bags, clear threats. Yes, that's that's uh, that's clearly what they have in mind here. And uh, one assembly member, Burke, uh, has introduced a bill to eliminate unvaccinated people's access to health insurance. Now, this is interesting because this is not the way it's being handled in Florida. It's not the way it's been handled in Florida. In Florida, in fact, it, it's just really interesting because I think sometimes it's we get caught up in the day-to-day, the news cycle. Hey, this is a thing that's been imposed today. Hey, there's this new piece of news story. And it can be easy to lose sight of the big picture of what's happened. And I don't think it's possible to overstate how dramatically different we are as a society since March of last year, right? I mean, you and I are staying at a hotel. People now get on an elevator with you in a hotel and you can see in their eyes, there's this flicker of danger right? because the social contract has been inverted right? and we now have been told to see other people as threats to our physical well-being. It's kind of amazing because nobody's ever had that reaction to me before. Right? You're, you cut it quite the imposing figure. <laughs> so so it, 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 is, it is remarkable. You sense the palatable fear uh, that's out there. And the country's really divided. I mean, it's interesting, this, uh, this survey that just came out. Um, we know that there is obviously a, right, a red and a blue divide on what they think about Tony Fauci. But very interesting, asked whether they had quite a bit of trust in Fauci and what Fauci says. I found this very interesting. While men, a majority of men do trust Fauci, when it came to women, just 37% of women trust Fauci and 45% don't. That's interesting. My theory is, by the way, this has to do with the children. What do you mean? The, the fact that they are now messing with their kids and Mama Bear does not want some bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., who, by the way, is a bureaucrat. Uh, he hasn't been a, a practicing scientist in decades, right. uh, dictating the health of their children. But this is this is great division here. And the problem is, again, it's a blunt force instrument. It's not capable of subtlety. It's not capable of debate and discussion. Uh, there was a great initiative, uh, the Great Barrington Declaration. This was uh, uh, done by um, Professor Kaldorf, who's an epidemiologist at Harvard, along with a colleague from Oxford and Stanford. And they came out with this declaration that we need to be uh, focused on uh, uh, focused protection on at-risk populations. Well, emails that just came out show that when they announced this, and again, these are guys from Stanford and Harvard and Oxford. These are credentialed academics, legitimate experts in their field, people people that know what they're talking about. That's exactly right. Emails now come out that show that Anthony Fauci and other government bureaucrats, when this declaration came out, said, we need to have a devastating takedown of these guys. That's bureaucratic language. That's not scientific language. And they didn't engage them. And this is what we are getting from this administration. So I think that speaks to one of the, the new societal trends that we're seeing emerge and we talked about it last hour with joe manchin and the reaction to joe manchin saying he's not going to vote for this bill uh, effectively gutting the, the prospect of its passage was not met with hey that's too bad it was no joe manchin must be racist right because he's now we're now leaking information about him saying things about what the poor people yeah. what the ethnic minorities would be doing with the money right and it speaks to oh this is the worst thing to happen to the climate and the earth as one right they're not going to have a substantive engagement they're going to attack him personally we no longer can have uh, a debate where differing opinions 
are ingested and weighed and evaluated. It's, oh, you disagree, and this is not the politically correct mindset, so you must be crushed. You must be eliminated from public discourse. We've seen big tech help play a role in that. When you had debate over some election issues last year, you're now seeing it with regards to any kind of COVID vaccine. The fact that we're able to have this conversation speaks to the freedom of some airways, but try to have some conversations like this online, you're going to have a hard time. Well, let's go back in history yeah. a little bit and, and talk about a comparison. It's not a perfect comparison, but I think it's a powerful one. I saw, I think it was last week, CBS News polled historians who are the greatest American presidents. And of course, these were uh, center-left historians. Uh, I think Donald Trump came in at 42nd, according to them, and they ranked Franklin Delano Roosevelt as the second best president in American history, ahead of Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and a whole host of others. So why do I bring this up? I mean, there's a lot of reasons to to not like FDR. I think his policies extended the Great Depression. Uh, he gave away half of Europe uh, to Joseph Stalin. But he used a blunt force instrument. The United States was taken by surprise at Pearl Harbor. It was a catastrophic intelligence failure by that administration. So what they did is they turned around and they said, we are going to start interning in internment camps, Japanese Americans. Um, and the argument was, we're going to do this to protect Americans. We're also going to do this to protect Japanese Americans. Yeah, it's for everybody's benefit. Um, we recently acknowledged the 70th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, which means we're acknowledging the 70th anniversary of the beginning of internment camps. It's almost college bowl season. In fact, college bowls may have begun. Some people may have known that in 1941, after Pearl Harbor, they said, hey, we can't have any large gatherings on the West Coast. So the Rose Bowl, which is traditionally played in Pasadena, California, was played in Durham, North Carolina that yeah, year. And yeah. so Duke and Oregon State, who played in the Rose Bowl, had to take, they played the game in, in North Carolina. Oregon State took a train across the country to make its way to Durham for the game. One of the people that didn't make the trip to Durham was a guy named Jack Yoshihara, who was Oregon State's kicker. Well, he was a Japanese American, a second generation Japanese American. And he was forced to miss the Rose Bowl because he was one of the nearly 120,000 Japanese Americans that went to an internment camp. He went to a place in Idaho. And I just think it's interesting to consider the parallels. And obviously, COVID lockdowns and any policies related to COVID are not the same thing as an internment camp. But you had an event. Yep. People died. Yep. People were scared. Yep. The government went into action and in what they thought was and what all the smart people in the administration thought was the right thing to do to protect people. Right. Right. And I think what's interesting is I told you 1941 was the only year that the Rose Bowl was not played in Pasadena until 2021. Right. When the Rose Bowl was played in Texas because of COVID and they played it in Texas because Texas had looser rules than California. They said, well, we'll let you do this thing here, but California wouldn't do it. So I do think to your point about the government being an imperfect and imprecise instrument of response, and that has real consequences. And I think we're about to see some more consequences on a national scale. That's exactly right. And what we're seeing out of the uh, New York State Assembly uh, certainly are not the same as what Japanese Americans went through, but it's moving in that direction and it's doubling down on taking away your civil liberties because they failed to begin with and they are now effectively trying to cover up their initial failings. Well, and just to carry out the comparison, just for argument's sake, mm -hmm. one of the bills that's been proposed is this idea of forcing all adult vaccine records into a state database. And as history will tell you, what's one of the ways, I mean, this is the stuff that kind of freaks people out. Right. And should. And should. One of the things, the ways in which they identified all Japanese Americans in the 1940s was through census data. 
And they were able to go and find individual census records and identify Japanese Americans to get them for their own safety into these internment camps. That, by the way, is something the Census Bureau denied for decades. (laughs) And it wasn't until 2007 they finally acknowledged and admitted it. So this is where anytime you have a government database of personal information about a variety of things that can be controversial, this is why people, including the people that are listening to this show right now, get real nervous. Well, and this is uh, goes back to the principle that Thomas Jefferson said uh, uh, back in uh, during his tenure as president, where he said, to the extent that government can do something for you, it can do something to you. So if they're telling you they're going to protect you, be careful, because I'm sure that census data was there to initially help Japanese Americans, and it was used against them. You are listening to Peter Schweitzer and Eric Eggers with the Government Accountability Institute. Our podcast is at thedrilldown.com. We're filling in for Sean, and you can contact us at 1-800-941-7326. This is Peter Schweitzer. And Eric Eggers. We're with the Government Accountability Institute, and we're filling in on the Sean Hannity Show. You can find our podcast at thedrilldown.com. We are talking about the state and the power of government as a blunt force instrument and the fact that they want to take away our liberties. And, you know, they take away our liberties by hyping threats, right, that are not always there or not always as present as they claim they are. They also uh, try to protect their control over us by lying about the consequences if we reclaim some of our freedom. And there's an interesting case where this happened, and it involves the speed limit. This is one of the few instances I could find of a freedom sort of being increased and restored at some level at the potential risk of what could be considered public safety. So as you may remember, and a lot of people that are listening may remember, at one point we had a federal speed limit of 55 miles an hour. It was done for a variety of reasons, mostly in the name of, I think, oil conservation. They realized people quickly like, well, I don't think this is a great (laughs) idea. They said, well, it's also good for safety. Right. So we kept it for a while, but then the Newt Gingrich-led House voted to repeal it in 1995. And just think about some of these quotes that, and think about them in the context of everything else that's happening, the debates we're having as a country about, can we give people the right to go to school? Can we give people the right to go to these mass gatherings when they voted to repeal the speed limit democrat nick ray hall of west virginia warned that the bill would quote turn our nation's highways into killing fields oh my god by allowing people to drive faster than 55 miles an hour then ohio senator mike dewine said quote if we raise the speed limit people will die and as you recall ralph nader consumer crusader told then president bill clinton he quote should express his apologies to the thousands of people, children, women, and men who will soon lose their lives or be permanently disabled, end quote. And I'm happy to tell you that none of that happened. That's right. No killing fields. No killing killing fields. And this is a great illustration because they hyped it. They claimed that it was going to lead to this terrible situation if they gave us more of our freedom, uh, and it didn't happen. And we need to keep that in mind constantly when it relates to the federal government. Well, I think it's a really good comparison, too, because it's not a law saying everybody's got to drive 85. Right. Now, if you're a particularly man of daring and skill as we are, then, you know, (laughs) have at it. But but, so people want to drive faster, they can, but it's not making it do so. You're just giving people the freedom to uh, express themselves vehicularly. Well, just look forward to the fact that uh, we now know that Democrats are asking the White House to require vax passports or negative tests for domestic flights. That's where that's where we're heading. You're with Peter Schweitzer and Eric Eggers filling in for Sean. This is Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute. 
And Eric Eggers, Vice President of the Government Accountability Institute, filling in for Sean Haney today. We host a podcast called The Drill Down. You can find it at thedrilldown.com. And we're just excited to be talking about a lot of the things that are happening and mattering to Americans today. And uh, it turns out there's quite a bit, not the least of which, unfortunately, are the COVID measures that uh, seem to be coming back for this holiday season. Yeah, you've got all these uh, bills that are being introduced in New York that are increasingly resembling a pretty autocratic approach. You've got Senator Dianne Feinstein now saying that that they need to start requiring vaccines to fly domestically uh, in the United States. But it's interesting, there's one group of people that has not had any uh, of their freedoms uh, restricted. Uh, they don't happen to be U.S. citizens, but they happen to be in the United States. Yeah, on our podcast, we have uh, GAI, Government Accountability Institute fellow Jason Chaffetz, former member of Congress. He had a really insightful piece that we talked about a couple weeks ago where he pointed out the hypocrisy and, in fact, I think the, the lack of effectiveness when you have all these COVID measures in place for United States citizens, but when the southern border remains open and we apparently don't give them anywhere near the level of attention that we give American citizens. And Jen Psaki was actually asked about it recently. So if somebody walks into the country right across the river, does somebody ask them to see their vaccination card? Well, let me explain to you again, Peter, how our process works. As individuals, as individuals come across the border, uh, and uh, they are uh, both assessed for whether they have uh, any symptoms. If they have symptoms, they are the intention is for them to be quarantined. That is our process. They're not intending to stay here for a lengthy period of time. I don't think it's but the same here. thing. The it's difference? not the same thing. It's not the same thing, Peter. So stop suggesting that it is. Uh, we'd also, but this is an issue that more and more people are taking notice of. I and mean, look, this is a normal thing. When your freedoms and when more things are asked of you, law-abiding American citizen, or at least in your case, American citizen, then people are going to ask questions and say, well, how come what's good for me is not good for thee? And I think Anthony Fauci had a similar situation recently. Do you advise the president about the possibility of new testing requirements for people coming into this country? Does that include everybody? The answer is yes, because you know that the new uh, uh, the new uh, uh, regulation, if you want to call it that, is that anybody and everybody who's coming into the country needs to get a test within 24 hours of getting on the plane to come here. But well, what about people who don't take a plane and just these border crossers coming in in huge numbers? You know, that's a different issue. For example, when you talk, we still have Title 42 with regard to protection at the border. So there are protections at the border that you don't have the capability, as you know, of somebody getting on a plane, getting checked, looking at a passport. We don't have that there, but we can get some degree of mitigation. Is there something to do to test these people somewhere else? There, no, there, 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 is, there is testing at the border under certain circumstances, as you know. So the title of Jason Chaffetz's article is Biden's COVID measures meaningless without border security. And to talk about that, uh, we have one of the top experts in the country. That's Brandon Judd. He is president of the National Border Control Council, and he's a 20-year veteran of helping control America's borders. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Peter, Eric, it's good to be with you. But let, let me just tell you, listening to those clips, you have no idea how bad that boils my blood. Being on the border, seeing everything that we do day in and day out, knowing that these people are being released into the United States and not having Jen Psaki tell the American public the truth, 
All we want is for the American public to be able to formulate their opinions based upon all the facts, the full truth. Instead, this White House tries to limit the amount of information so the American public cannot form their opinions. These people are not being tested that are being released into the United States. They are not being mandated to have COVID vaccines that are being released into the United States. And a vast majority of them are being released into the United States to speak to Dr. Fauci's Title 42. We Title 42 so few people, it's not even funny. Under the Trump administration, we Title 42'd everybody. Under this administration, they have created so many different carve-outs that the vast majority of the people are not being Title 42. They're lying to the American public. They're withholding truth. And so the American public is not allowed to develop and formulate their own opinions based upon all facts. If you can't tell, I'm ticked. <laughs> Brandon Judd is president of the National Border Patrol Council and a 20-year veteran. Brandon, I do want you to be a little bit more passionate about this issue, <laughs> but I also want you to explain to people what Title 42 is because I'm willing to bet the vast majority of our listeners don't know. So Title 42 is a health care. Uh, there's a law that allows the, the, the federal government to implement a health code that expels people immediately that cross our borders illegally or legally. It doesn't matter. It allows us to expel them under um, a pandemic situation. It's a health code. And, and what we did under President Trump is anybody that crossed the border illegally, we didn't even take them back to our stations. All we did was we fingerprinted them in the field. And as long as they did not have a criminal record here in the United States, we would then immediately take them back to a port of entry and expel them back into Mexico. And this was everybody. It wasn't just people from certain countries. It was everybody. But President Biden, when he came in, he said that we couldn't expel children. He said we couldn't expel family units. He said we couldn't expel people from certain countries. And by the way, those countries just happen to be the worst countries, the countries that hate us the most. So he did away uh, the vast majority of this health code that allows us, the law that allows us, um, Title 42, that's just the law. It's a, um, um, I don't remember what USC, but Title 42 is the, is the law that allows us to do it. So, yeah, he, he just he completely and totally gutted our authority under Title 42. Well, Brandon, I think this has the potential to be a hugely important issue because you've got people concerned about the border, people that are concerned about COVID restrictions, and the fact that there are inconsistent standards that are actually working against U.S. citizens, working U.S. citizens, is going to outrage a lot of people. Let me just read something that Jaden, Jason Chaffetz wrote in this piece. That means hundreds of thousands of people are flooding into the country illegally while truck drivers are prohibited from doing their jobs unless they are vaccinated. We seem to have a shortage of truck drivers in this country, not a shortage of illegal immigrants, and yet we're penalizing law-abiding Americans. And I would argue that some that are maybe not as concerned as they should be about the border are going to be really angry when they realize that illegals crossing the border don't have to worry about these restrictions that we face. They would be. The vast majority of the American public would be outraged if they actually knew what was going on. And that's the problem. The only people that know what's going on are the ones that listen to your show, listen to your podcast, listen to Henny's show, watch Fox News, 
um, and, and some of the other news news channels. But the vast majority, of Amer- the vast majority of the American public doesn't have that luxury to hear everything that's going on. But they do expect the White House to be honest with them. They expect the White House to give them the full facts, and they're not. So when you look at it, when you look that we are apprehending on the southwest border every single day. Five to seven thousand people, and those five to seven thousand people, a majority of them are being released into the United States. That means we're releasing a million people per year into the United States. They could be carrying not just not just COVID nineteen, but they could be carrying all kinds of um, diseases that come from third world countries, even developed countries. Um, people we we apprehend from, we could be releasing people into the United States with all kinds of diseases. Including COVID nineteen, the Omicron variant, all of the, the Delta variant, all of the different um, diseases that come in, and this administration is doing nothing to curb that. Nothing. Why do you think that is? Because they're pandering to their to their leftist base. When you look at when you look at today's politics, especially with the left, they recognize that if they don't energize their base, if they don't do what their base wants, they're not coming to the polls. The Democrats, generally speaking, don't come to the polls. And they know that. And so what they're, what they're doing is they're trying to tell their base, look, we're doing what you want us to do. Your open borders, we're going to give you the open borders. If we can't get the, uh, the amnesty through reconciliation, you know what, we'll just do it through policy. We'll just release thousands upon thousands of people into the country, um, even though they're illegal, even though they're going to do us harm, because it energizes their base, and that's all they care about. See, this is why I think this is such an important story, because I actually think, like, I don't disagree with your logic, Brandon. We're talking to Brandon Judd. He's the president of the National Border Patrol Council and an active member of uh, the United States Border Patrol. But what I think is interesting is is that the, the people, you're, the, the base that you're speaking of, when I think of people that are COVID cautious, I think about the woman I saw yesterday in New York City walking with her dog by herself with a mask on all throughout the street. So I actually think that while we do, while the Democrat voters do care about immigrants and the plight of immigrants, I also know they're not trying to get anywhere where they think they can catch a case of COVID, uh, regardless of the ethnicity of the person that might be bringing it in their proximity. So do you think there's actually a chance that maybe the political calculus is changing a little bit because of this virus? Well, it is. The, the, the political calculus has changed dramatically. If you look at the, the way everything's going today, um, you know, more and more Democrats continue to say that they do not think that Biden is doing a good job. I mean, the last Mar- uh, Marist poll said that uh, I think it was 82 percent of Democrats approved. You know, that that's down from 87 percent. So, yes, there are there are Democrats, you know, Democrats that are coming down off of this Joe Biden high from a year ago, and they're coming down to earth and they're recognizing this guy has done nothing as far as policy. And I'm not just talking about illegal immigration. I'm not talking about border security. I'm talking about everything. This guy hasn't done anything um, that has benefited this country. He's done a lot of things that benefit other countries, but he hasn't done anything to benefit this country. And we're starting to see that in the polls. Independence, he's getting destroyed by independents, and they are recognizing that he's just not doing a good job. And border security was the first chink in that armor. Border security was where he first, the, the, the major changes. Day one, he got rid of the migrant protection protocols. Day one, he changed Title 42, and we saw the explosion of illegal immigration. So that was the first chink in his armor, but everybody's starting to recognize this guy just does not know how to govern. Well, this administration keeps telling us to follow the science, which, of course, we know they're not doing. But I don't know any science, any science 
that says, let millions of people from the developing world into your country without testing them during a pandemic. And, and Brandon, just really briefly before we go to a break, explain to us, this is not just people from Guatemala and Mexico. These are people coming from around the world. This is the United Nations arriving at our doorstep. The United Nations identifies 195, officially identifies 195 countries. We are apprehending people from 151, a little more than 151 of those countries, including countries that want to do us a great deal of harm. We just apprehended in Yuma, Arizona, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, um, Senegal, um, um, Eritrea, um, Saudi Arabia. We're apprehending people from around the globe. This isn't like back in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. This wasn't 90% Me- um, people from Mexico. We're apprehending people from around the world. That's how um, capable these criminal cartels are in exercising our policies against us. This administration is allowing criminal cartels to dictate to us what our operations will be on the border. They are allowing them to go into countries and advertise their, um, their services, and they're generating billions of dollars every single year based upon our policies. Well, I guess the last point to make then would be, given what you just noted in terms of the the United Nations, the, the universal appeal of people's willingness to cross in this country illegally, and the fact that we're holding United States citizens to standards that we're not holding citizens of the world, talk about how what could potentially be happening to the actual force of the United States Border Patrol because of the vaccine mandates for federal employees. Some estimates have said that up to 60% of members of the Border Patrol could lose their jobs, which I'm willing to bet wouldn't make Border Patrol enforcement any better. No, no, we're, we're going to lose an awful lot of agents. Uh, we're, we're seeing stories come out all the time. I'm, I'm vigorously defending um, the agents as much as we possibly can, trying to ensure that we keep as many agents as we possibly can. But yes, we're looking at potentially losing up to 3,500 agents out of a workforce of just 19,000. That's an astronomical number. We wouldn't be able to absorb that hit. And that's one of the things that really, really ticks me off about Fauci. Fauci says he's not a politician, yet he doesn't give he doesn't give truthful answers. He gives political answers instead of um, telling the truth that these millions of people that are evading apprehension or being released into the United States, they could be carrying these uh, uh, these viruses. Instead, he says, well, as you know, we have Title 42 in place. Title 42. Come on. Give me a break. We're releasing millions of people every year. Well, we appreciate you being willing to spread the truth literally to the entire country right now, Brandon. People may not have the luxury of listening to our podcast, although it is free and available at any website where you get your podcast and at thedrilldown.com. You just heard uh, from Brandon Judd, president of the National Border Patrol Council, uh, speaking truth, uh, uncomfortable truth, but truth about the reality on the southern border. We appreciate his time. appreciate your time. It's Eric Eggers and Peter Schweitzer, host of the Drill Down podcast. In for Sean Handy. We'll be back just after this. You're listening to Peter Schweitzer. And Eric Eggers. We are with the Government Accountability Institute, and we are filling in for Sean Hannity. We've been talking about blunt force that the government has. There's also the blunt force of big tech, and I love it when people fight back. A parlor, which is a platform that I use, that Sean is on, is a viewpoint-neutral free speech social media platform. Remember, Amazon went after them. The government went after them. They're announcing today they're going to expand their portfolio to include decentralized technology projects. They've got a deal with Melania Trump for non-fungible token marketplace I think this is excellent. You have to fight back against government and you have to fight back against big tech. If you don't, 
you're going to be crushed. So I say kudos to Parler for doing this. Parler was uniquely attacked uh, last year, so it's nice to see them responding and to compete in the battleground of ideas. It is. This is Peter Schweitzer. And Eric Eggers. And we are with the Government Accountability Institute. You can also listen to our podcast, thedrilldown.com.